Welcome to episode number 68 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about the fundamental differences between gas and dust flames. So this follows on in our fundamental science series around the fundamental science of combustible dust, about dust explosion, dust fire, and dust deflagration. And we're talking about what are these differences between gas explosions and dust explosions, um, and gas flames and dust flames from a, a fundamental perspective. This follows on some previous episodes where we talked about the fundamental understanding of dust combustion, deflagration, explosion, including episode 39, Does Size Matter? Why the Standard Dust Explosion Testing Chamber is 20 liters. Episode 48, The Fundamentals of Dust Explosion Prevention Protection and Avoiding Incident Sequences. And then just a couple episodes ago in episode 65, where we talked about the effect of particle size on dust deflagration. So in this episode specifically, we're going to talk about why considering the differences between gas and dust flames is important. We're going to talk about what are five major differences between gas and dust flames and how these differences impact our understanding of dust explosions today. So why is considering the differences between gas and dust flames important? So a big thing here is that most of our understanding from a theoretical standpoint of dust, expl- dust explosions and dust flames is really done on the back of research that's been done for gas flames. So a lot of the theories in that have been modified and adjusted from gas flame or gas combustion theory to determine what the impact might be for dust explosions. So really the, the gas flames are really a starting point. Then you layer in the complexities that you have from dust explosions to understand the fundamental science. But the hard part is that dust flames are much more complicated than gas flames. And it's important to keep these differences in mind when you start extrapolating these theories and start treating dust in the same way as a gas, because there are a lot of differences. And we're going to talk about what those differences are in this episode. We're also going to talk about how these differences have impacted our understanding of dust explosions um, and maybe even led to some of the issues we have around you know, appreciating the hazard from a dust explosion, letting that material accumulate over a long period of time, and having a large explosion all at once. So we'll talk a bit about that in this episode. So what are five of the major differences between dust and gas flames? The first difference is just the reaction zone. So when you look at a flame and if you see a test demonstration of an explosion, you actually see the flame itself. In that flame is where you have fuel and it's reacting and releasing heat. And that heat is visible to you as through, uh, through visible radiation, which is the, the flame itself. And then on the other side of that, you have the burnt products. So for a gas flame, the reaction zone is pretty well established. You have the fuel, you have reaction zone, you have the products, and the reaction zone is pretty thin. Um, it's on the order of a millimeter or less. And it's pretty easy to understand, or at least at a high level, what's going on in the reaction zone. You have fuel, it's reacting through chemistry and chemical reactions and producing products. Now there's a lot of research on you know different fuels and uh, what different molecules might be involved there. And even for methane, you may have up to 300, 400 different molecules to properly describe that combustion reaction. But you can also kind of zoom out and say, okay, that's just a thin flame. It's converting very well from products to reactants. The thing with dust is it, that picture is not as simple. So you have the fuel, you have the reaction zone, then you have the products of the combustion. But for dust, you have several steps in the combustion mechanism. So you have heating. You need to heat that particle up to get some point where it can react. We talked about the complexities of the reaction process itself in previous episodes, like 42, where we talk about fundamental burning characteristics of five combustible dust. So you have this step where the reaction takes place, 
And it may be a surface reaction or maybe a gas phase reaction. It may have multiple steps where it has to release volatiles and then these react. It may have multiple steps where it's doing several different things. So this reaction zone is quite a bit thicker. And it's also more difficult to understand. There's more things going on, more processes, both chemical processes, same as a gas flame, but there's also physical processes like mass transport, like heating, which is energy transport, and different phenomena that are going on there. So that's one thing that's, that's different. This reaction zone is quite a bit different. And this has a big impact on extrapolating the fundamental theories from gas flames to dust flames because of this difference in gas flame thickness. And anytime you read a scientific or technical paper about dust flames, you'll generally hear things like using small particle size and high volatile dust. And the reason they're saying that is to make it seem like it's more like a gas so that the theories that are used for gas flames can apply. And there are cases where this is a applicable thing to do. There are great cases where it's sort of in the middle. And then there's also cases where this probably isn't a very good assumption. And it may result in quite a different bit different analysis of what's going to happen from that dust flame. So the second major difference then is the number of variables. So for a gas, you have the fuel. Is it methane or is it um, heptane or what is it? You have the equivalence ratio, which is a measure of the concentration, how much fuel is there. You have the temperature and you have the pressure. And that's it. Those four variables are going to tell you or give you the conditions that you need to know to be able to estimate what the flame speed is going to be and how fast that flame is going to propagate. But the number of variables for a dust flame are, are significantly higher. Even just looking at the first one, what is the fuel? We have the physical properties of the fuel, conductivity of just the, the material. So that affects the heating rate, which we've talked about before, affects the overall combustion process. We have these differences between gas phase reaction and surface reaction or heterogeneous and homogeneous reaction steps. We have flame standoff. So is the flame form really close to the surface of the particles or is it standoff a big distance? If it stands off a big enough distance, then it's going to overlap with the adjacent particle. And then this causes a different, totally different structure in the dust cloud when it's burning than you'd see in a gas flame. And that's just the fuel. Particle size is another variable. So you'll hear this a lot, you know, methane is methane. So if you have methane, you measure its laminar burning velocity here, you'll get a very close to textbook value. But for particles, uh, you have the fuel itself. So if it was, say, aluminum, that's not just aluminum. It's aluminum at a certain particle size and even more specifically, a per certain particle size distribution. This is why lycopodium is very often used as a reference dust for dust explosion testing because it has a very narrow band size distribution. It's right around 33 micron. It's high volatile dust. So it reacts pretty similar from one batch of methane to the next. Well, this is not the case for coal. This is not the case for food. And this is not the case for metals and plastics and a lot of other dust that we have. Uh, moisture content is another big variable is a much larger impact than it does for gases and concentration because you have delayed heating before the re in the reaction zone you have particles that are reacting when they're only uh, say 20 percent heated or 30 percent heated and then the next particle is reacting and this allows a lot of the unburnt mass because you're consuming oxygen during that reaction a lot of the unburned mass then has a large impact on the burning velocity and has a large impact on the flame structure uh, and this actually plays a, a pretty important role, and we'll talk a bit about it um, later on in this podcast episode as well. So the third difference, and probably the biggest difference between a dust and a gas, is that dust settles out of suspension. And I think if, and I'll probably talk about this in the podcast in future episodes, but I think if you wanted to track down one thing that leads to all the issues that we have for a combustible dust, maybe that's too big of a statement, but this one thing that dust settles out of suspension causes a lot of issues. 
Um, it has the largest practical effect. It makes it very hard to test dusts in a laboratory setting. Um, gas, you just you know, inject it with a syringe or inject it with a tube into a box, and the gas automatically fills the box. Very nice. Dust, you need to actually get that material dispersed in an even way that you can cause an explosion in a repeatable way. So you would do two explosion tests in a row, you don't get totally different results. So dust doesn't do that. It settles out. It gets stuck in hard to see places. It can remain hidden. And this has, in my mind, and we'll talk a little bit about it um, towards the end of this episode, but has a large impact on awareness of dust as even being a hazard in the first place. Fourth difference is radiation. So radiation, because dust particles heat and they're solid mass, they tend to eject a lot more radiation and absorb a lot more radiation than gases. So the ejecting of radiation causes loss to the flame. The flame slows down. But because that the particles ejecting radiation and the particles upstream in the unburnt cloud are absorbing radiation, those particles can actually preheat. So if you have a very hot burning dust like aluminum, radiation intensities is proportional to the power of temperature to the fourth. So the hotter it gets, a lot more radiation gets emitted. And then that can actually preheat the unburnt particles ahead of the flame, which is why you see radiation being talked about quite a bit for metal dust. And the impact of this is that it's going to enhance the burning velocity the bigger the flame is. The bigger the the enclosure housing the explosion is, the more chance or longer time that this radiation can preheat ahead of the flame. So you may have a flame that starts off at 30 centimeters a second, then goes to 60, then goes to 120, then goes to a meter a second. As the vessel's made bigger and bigger, you're going to have this flame that's changing with the size of the vessel. So you have a scale-dependent KST value or scale-dependent rate of pressurize. And this is one of the hard things about metal dust that are trying to be figured out today. It can really be tracked back to radiation, not really knowing the impact of that and what that has on burning velocity. There's a really interesting test, actually. It's presented in Dust Explosions in the Processing Industries by Dr. Ruff Eckhoff. Uh, it's figure 4.2. What they did was they took a cloud of dust, they ejected the cloud, they ignited it with an igniter, um, you get a, a nice flame or a nice explosion. They put a glass wall or a glass plate or a glass window beside the cloud and then ejected another cloud beside the plate. So the two clouds don't physically touch. The heat can't transmit through the glass plate. The only thing they can transmit is radiation. And they did a bunch of different metal dusts on both sides of the glass, the ignited side and the non-ignited side. I mean, picture what, I, what I'm describing here. Radiation can only ignite from some materials to other materials. So if you have, say, maybe aluminum and aluminum on both sides, you'll get ignition of the cloud that's on the um, non-ignited side of the glass because of radiation, where if you maybe had iron and iron, then you don't get that radiation ignition. And they use this to explore, you know, what dust have this radiation effect. And they're also using it to try to explore, you know, how, how does this radiation effect work? But it's an interesting demo. It gives you a real good idea that Radiation is what can cause the flame to propagate in these clouds because that's the only thing that can actually transfer through this glass plate between the two dust clouds. The fifth difference then is heat loss due to high dust loading. So this also complicates the understanding of how the flame will behave. Because you have this delay of heating and then reaction that doesn't really exist to the same level as in gas flames, you can actually load a lot more fuel into the flame or the flame can have a lot more fuel and it becomes very fuel-rich. And this excess dust then um, that's unreacted has a big impact on the, the flame. 
And as of today, we don't really have a great idea how these very fuel-rich flames behave in terms of understanding their flame propagation characteristics. So that gives you an idea of some of the differences then between gas and dust flames. Um, the reaction zone is totally different, the number of variables, the fact that dust settles as suspension, radiation and heat loss all play, both play a role as well. How do these differences impact our understanding then of dust explosions? So the first thing I'll say is that fundamental testing is very difficult then with dust. It makes it very hard to understand key parameters like laminar burning velocity. And the reason this is important is it goes back to the fact that we're using gas theory a lot as the kind of theory then to apply or seeing how that might apply for dust flames. But the problem is gas theory all builds on having a laminar burning velocity, a well-defined laminar burning velocity, which we don't have for dust. So not only are we translating kind of a theory in a way that we don't exactly know how to do it, but the starting point, we don't even, we can't really measure that well, which is the laminar burning velocity. There is some research being done, uh, specifically at McGill University in Montreal, that has measured the laminar burning velocity of, of a number of dusts. The apparatus is very complex to do this, and in some cases, they're even doing things like um, parabolic flight trajectories and planes to get zero gravity conditions to stop the dust from settling out. We talked about why that's so hard. Um, or even sending the, the experimental apparatus up in low-altitude space shuttles so they can get zero gravity or near zero gravity conditions so they can measure things like laminar burning velocity. These are not cheap experiments, I assure you, and are you know very hard to do, again, because particle size comes in. So you're not just testing aluminum. You need to test aluminum at 10 micron, aluminum at 20 micron, and 50 micron, 100. And then when you're in an actual real condition, you're going to have a particle size distribution of all those different mixtures all that plays together to make it very hard to fundamentally test combustible dust and fundamentally understand their flame propagation effects and is why we have to use a lot of experimental testing and correlations in order to uh, use that material in processing operations today. The second point, and I, I hinted at this already, is that dispersion affects everything. So the fact that dust settles out of suspension and gases fill volumes, or most gases fill volumes anyway, I think has a, has a bigger impact than maybe we even appreciate. So one, I mean, there's a direct experimental impact. It's hard to get the dust up out of suspension. You either use an air blast. You can use a closed fan system. So if you have a box and you put fans all around, then you can you know stir the dust up and get a nice kind of home, homogeneous mixture. Um, or you can usually, another way to do it is to have a tube and they shake the dust on the top and let it fall down. So the closed fan system is the best for getting a, a repeatable homogeneous suspension but the problem is you can't do that laminar. You can only do it under turbulent conditions. It's actually pretty hard to measure how, what the level of turbulence is as well. The air blast in a cup, that's basically what we do in the 20-year chamber, except they use a nozzle instead of a cup now. But it's very hard to get a repeatable system to get the same type of dispersion each time. And this causes a, a condition where we have hard-to-reproduce experiments. And that just results in the experimental scatter being larger than we see for gas systems. And this experimental scatter then makes it hard to come up with overarching theories for how dust behaves. And end result is that we have to test a lot of materials. We have to test every material specifically for the dust that we're using um, in order to determine its conditions. Where a methane flame is very well characterized under laminar and turbulent conditions, we can pretty much predict how it's going to happen without even doing experimental testing because enough have been done. We just won't get there with combustible dust until we get some better underlying theories of how they behave. And we can't do that because we don't have the fundamental testing parameters. The role of turbulence and radiation, we talked about this a bit. The complicating factor with turbulence is, one, you need turbulence to get the dust in suspension anyway, but two, the dust actually generates its own turbulence as it's moving through the 
airstream and as it's reacting, which complicates matters as well. And then radiation we've talked about before makes everything kind of scale dependent, which makes it hard to determine what the impact's going to be of having a, a dust explosion in a given size piece of equipment. So I'll close off with the the last difference here or difficulty in, in impacting and understanding dust explosion, this appreciating the hazard. The fact that methane gas fills a room and the fact that uh, dust will settle out has a big impact here. And then also the fact that dust has a low minimum ignition energy, so it doesn't readily ignite, is also, I think, causes more harm to us than if it was easier. It was easier to ignite dust, and if it ignited more frequently, then we wouldn't see these very, very large explosions. So as an example, in the previous podcast episode number 66, a case study on dust explosion at Fishmeal Factory in Norway in 1975, that dust explosion would not have been near as large because ignition would have happened much sooner. So if the dust could be much more readily ignited, then in that case, the bolts were breaking in the screw conveyors and then going through the hammer mills and then being hammered around and eventually caused a dust explosion. But only after, you know, they've been doing that for many years or a very long time of having that process happen, they go and manually remove the screws. If that had to happen the first time that the the screws broken the conveying system, then you wouldn't have fugitive dust had built throughout the whole facility. Wouldn't have it coating all of the silos. Um, if that explosion had happened the first time that a spark could have ignited it, uh, then you know we wouldn't have such catastrophic dust explosions. So I think that does cause some issues. It caused some issues with the appreciating hazard as well. You wouldn't stand in a room that you know is filled with methane gas and light a lighter, and you probably wouldn't even stand in a room that had a lot of liquid fuel on the ground like gasoline light a lighter. But because you can have sawdust that just sits there, very dry material or dusty material that's just sitting on the ground and settled at a suspension completely, it kind of, you know, it doesn't have the same scare appeal as as liquids or gaseous fuels. People are much more likely to allow ignition source to be present. So two things I'd say about appreciating the hazard. One, because it settles out and hides, then um, it can be allowed to build up. Because it doesn't ignite so easily, um, it also is allowed to build up as well. If you, again, yeah, if, if an explosion would happen every time a spark would enter a dust cloud, then the explosion would be much smaller. But what really happens is in a processing operation, you may have sparks going through every day for five years before the explosion happens. And because it ignited on the fifth year and not the fifth minute of that happening, um, you may have a much larger explosion because dust has been allowed to accumulate elsewhere through the facility or just allow the hazard has been allowed to grow before it actually ignites. So that's it for this episode of the Dust Explosion Podcast. We talked about the fundamental differences between gas and dust flames. We talked about why considering the differences is important, and this is because our understanding of the theory of dust explosions, things like scaling laws, things like predicting burning flame speeds and things, are a lot of that's built on gas flame theory. Uh, we talked about five major differences between dust and gas, the reaction zone, the number of variables, the fact that dust sells a suspension, radiation, heat loss, and there's probably many others as well. We talked about how these differences impact our understanding for dust explosions. We about things like difficulty and dispersion really hampers our ability to do fundamental testing. Um, it also may lead to some of the underappreciation of dust explosion as a hazardous condition uh, that we see in industry and, and lead to less awareness of this being a risk until you actually have an incident. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, if you're liking these more fundamental topics, let me know. Uh, something that maybe we can cover inside the Dust Safety Academy after our 2020 Digital Dust Safety Conference, which actually should be 
happening, I think, at the same week that this is coming out or maybe the week before. Um, so I hope you're all enjoying that. And as always, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world. Thank you.